Let's open our Bibles, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We looked last week, Paul talking about being like a mom and like a dad, and that both were needed, and Paul was both. He was gentle, he was caring, he was helping, but he was also urging and he was exhorting. And we saw also some interesting leadership lessons there that Paul and his team of, of, of leaders, they were not a burden on the people. They, they, they were specifically trying not to be a burden on the people, not to take from them. But they shared the gospel and they shared their lives. They weren't separate. They weren't demanding. They weren't abusing. They just loved the people. And, and they knew that the people were watching and that God was also watching. And so they, getting back to what he said in chapter 1, he just wanted to please God. And that's how he was doing it. He set a standard, really, by, uh, of how they lived and what God's people should look for in leadership. He says they were holy, they were righteous, they were blameless, they were set apart for God, they were right with God and right with other people. They were, they were doing their best to live right according to his word, and they were above reproach. And, and then he, he finishes it off in verse 12. Look at there, verse 12. He says there, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. This, this ministry of encouragement and comfort and also urging. Again, the, the kind of the mixture of all, you know, father and mother, kind of all these things, some encouragement to come alongside and, and, and to help, but also to come alongside with sympathy and concern, but, but, but also to urge and to, to, to speak up and to challenge. We need all three of those at different times in our lives. You know, you might be at a place now you need encouragement, but you might also... Some of, someone else might be at a place where you need to be urged on. You need to go for it. You need to get up and move to live lives worthy of God. Today, we're going to look at verse 13. And really, uh, the, the subject that I want to look at today is the Bible. And, and Barbara's uh, testimony there about building that foundation of Scripture is a perfect uh, uh, intro into that, is, is the Scripture that you build that foundation with, the question about it is, is it just the words of men or is it the word of God? And can we trust it? We, we do uh, a chapel. I, I help out with a uh, chapel over at the West Bay Christian Academy. And, and the, the theme that I've uh, chosen for this year really is two-pronged. One is God's son and God's word. God's Son and God's Word. And, and, and God's Son, you know, can we, we need to know Him, we need to love Him, and we need to obey Him. And God's Word also, we need to know it, we need to love it and obey it. And it's really no different there than it is here. This is the, the, the kind of the message of, of really life, the, to know Jesus Christ and to know His Word. We can't, you know, so many times we leave out God's Word. We're going to talk about that here in a minute. Let's go ahead and read verse 13. He says there, And we also thank God, Paul says, about the Thessalonians, he says, continually, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is at work in you who believe. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning, and I pray that you would speak to us through your word this morning here 
and that we would have eyes and ears to see and to listen to what you would say to us, each one of us individually and also corporately. God, we, uh, we humble ourselves before you and we thank you for the freedom that we have here in this country and in this place here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Paul says, he starts off, he says, you know, that we thank God continually. And, and the reason he was thanking God was because it says they received the word of God, which they'd heard, which they accepted, not as the word of men, but as it actually is the word of God. We see three things there in that first part. Number one is they heard it. They received it, number two, and then they accepted it. Some versions use the word receive it twice, but it's actually two different words. Number one, they heard it. Someone had to tell them. Someone had to speak the word to them. Someone had to share the truth of God with them. Secondly, to receive, uh, the, the literal meaning is to take it to oneself. To take it into oneself. And, and Warren Wiersbe says of this word, it's the hearing of the ear. It's the first part where you hear it and you bring it in. But the third one is accepted. It, it goes on beyond that. It's, it's more uh, this welcoming with open arms. And Warren Wiersbe calls it the hearing of the heart. So someone's got to speak the word and then we hear it with our ear, but we've got to take it even further than that. We need to hear it with our hearts. And Paul is saying here, that's what they did there. And he was so thankful for that. He had, he had been called by God to go out and do what God called him to do, go out and, and bring Jesus Christ to all the people, specifically to the Gentiles. He was the apostle to the Gentiles, to those that were not Jewish. And he went out and he just brought them God's word. He brought them the truth of God. And, and he said he was, he was so thankful that they, they heard it and they took it in, and they welcomed that message. But, but the question that I have to ask is, why did they welcome the, the message? Not because Paul was this incredible speaker. Paul talks about himself. He says he really wasn't much of a speaker at all. And some of the tra tradition that talks about him says he wasn't really much to look at either. He was kind of scary to look at, kind of like me. But they heard the message and they, they heard it. Why did they listen to it? Because they realized what it was, that it wasn't just the words of men. It wasn't just the words of people. It says here, but as it actually is, not was, but is, the Word of God. The Word of God. We kind of use those terms kind of, you know, it falls off in the Word of God, the Word of God, the Word of God. But we have to know we're talking here that these are the words, the word of God, the one true and living God. We have a very high regard for the scripture here, for the Bible, and that's why we read it, we study it, we teach it, we, we're, we're all about it. Why? Because we believe it's from God, that's why. Because we believe it's his word that he has given to us. There, there's this uh, uh, kind of false way of looking at it that, that some would say, well, the Bible just contains God's word. But see, that's not, that's, that's not the truth. The Bible is God's word. That's what it says here, that it actually is. Not that it contains it, because when you start to get into weird things like that, you can say, well, this part is God's word, but this part isn't. And then we start to like 
become the judge of what is and what isn't God's word. We believe it's from God. That it's not just any book. That it's not just words. That it's God's word. Say, why, do you, why, do you make, why are you making such a big deal out of this? Well, this is a big deal. This is huge. In our statement of faith from our website, we, we write there, we believe that the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments are the word of God, fully inspired without error in the original manuscripts and the infallible rule of faith and practice. That's what we believe. Well, if you believe something, you need to act like you believe it, right? And if you, see, if you have this statement of faith on your website and then you never open up the Bible, that doesn't fly, right? That's contradictory. It's the word of God. That's what Paul said. He went to them. He, he, he brought the message and they said, wow, this, is, these aren't just, this isn't just some philosophy of of life. This isn't some philosopher that's come in and told us stories. This isn't like some guy who, who has some ideas, some wisdom of man, some intelligence. He said, he said they recognized, they saw that this was God's word. And so they accepted it. They received it. They welcomed it with open arms and they, they took it into their, actually into their hearts. I want to turn to a few passages because this is such an important thing and this is why this, I, I may not even get through it all today because it's like so huge from beginning to end in the Bible. But turn with me, if you will, to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3, first of all. I, I was interested when, uh, when Dave talked about his little phone app. I have a dumb phone, so I can't get those things on there. But you know... That's really good. But you know, it's sort of not really good either. You know why it's not good? Because, because then we don't even have to try to understand the books of the, where the books of the Bible, how they're laid out. It's really good because when you need to find something, I have, I have Bible programs and I use them all the time to find things, to look up things, to put my notes together, to, and I use them all the time. But I also think it's absolutely essential that you and I know this book. We don't rely on somebody else. We, we need to know. One of the things I'm doing with the kids at, at West Bay is we're, we're, we're breaking it down. How many books are in the uh, Bible, by the way? 66. How many in the Old Testament? See, it starts to break down already. 39. And, and that's what happened when I asked them the other day. It's 66, but so we need to break it down. It's 39 and, and 66 minus 39 is 27. So 39 and 27, so you guys already learned something now. you got to remember some things about this book. If this is the Word of God, we need to know it better than we know the lineup of what's on TV tonight. How many of you are thinking, well, there's a show I'm going to watch tonight. I've got, I've got that all figured out. I've got the time all figured out. I, I watch TV too. You know what? But but I'm saying what I'm saying here is this is so absolutely essential. If we do we even know? Can you find Second Hesitations chapter two? <laughs> Some of you are looking right now for it. Can you can you if I asked you to find the book of Ezra, can you find it? If you needed to find the book of Titus, can you find it? 
I don't have any problem whatsoever with people using the index. If you can't find it, that's why they give you an index here. Look at it. Years ago, we made some bookmarkers that ha actually had, you know, indexes with page numbers or blanks where you could put the page numbers for your very own Bible so you could keep that in there. And we probably still have some of those around because I think it's great. And, and, and so you can find it out. But, but, you know, what I was saying about these kids was we're breaking it down. In the Old Testament, we're breaking it down. In the New Testament, we're going to break it down and we're going to learn. We're going to learn. I'll talk about that in a minute. Let's look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14. But as for you, Paul's talking to Timothy, who was kind of one of his, his uh, protégés. He says, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it. And how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed. That's the literal translation of that word, God-breathed. And is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. All Scripture is God-breathed, inspired by God. God has given it to us. Notice he says Holy Scripture here. Notice he says, listen, you've learned this. He learned, Timothy had learned it from infancy, from a young child. The infallible and authoritative Word of God, the NIV Study Bible says the infallible and authoritative word of God. You see all those things that it's useful for? Teaching? Rebuking? Oh, I don't like rebuking. Correcting? I don't like correction. Training in righteousness? Well, that's probably okay. Equipped for every good work? Well, that's probably okay. See how we can start to then judge and say, no, we want it all. We need it all. God has given us his word for all the things in life. Authoritative word of God. The second passage I want you to turn to, 2 Peter chapter 1. That's right after Hezekiah. <laughs> 2 Peter chapter 1. Second Peter chapter 1. See, I, I break it down and I can hear it in my head. James, Peter, John, Jude, Revelation. James, Peter, John, Jude, Revelation in my head. So I know I've know I got to go back there. James, Peter, John, Jude, Revelation. Peter, Second Peter chapter 1. Verse, let's look at verse 20 first. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation, for prophecy never came, excuse me, prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along or moved by the Holy Spirit. It's not from man. It wasn't man's idea. It wasn't his, you know, thinking, I'm going to come up with this idea. 
I'm going to, you know, write these words down and then, you know, that's what we're going to look at. It says here very, very clearly, and put this together with, with 2 Timothy, what we just read, 3.16, which is easy to rem- way to remember where that is. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is God-breathed, inspired by God. Just think of John 3.16, 2 Timothy 3.16. 2 Peter, he says that these men were spoke, they spoke from God as they were moved, carry along, carried along by the Holy Spirit. God used people. Yes, he did. But he superintended the whole process. He was over the, the whole process, and he put together this book that we call the Holy Bible. We can't even get into all the details about this today, but, but, but this is very clear that it's not from man, that they were... They were moved by the Holy Spirit and God gave them the words to write. Look up a few verses there to verse 16. Uh, Peter says, We did not follow cleverly invented stories. Notice that, cleverly invented stories. These weren't just stories somebody made up. He said, when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. Saying about His majesty. We were eyewitnesses. For He received honor and glory from God the Father. When the voice came to Him from the majestic glory, saying, This is My Son whom I love, with Him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. In verse 19, And we have the word of the prophets made more certain. And you will do well to pay attention to it, as to a light shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Notice that's the context for the verses we already read about the scripture coming from God. We have the word of the prophets made more certain and you will do well to pay attention to it. You will do well to pay attention, to open your eyes and like the Thessalonians, the hearing of the heart to what this word says. It's not from man, it's from God. They were eyewitnesses. This Bible as we know it, this Bible as we know it is called the canon. Does anybody know what the word canon means? Not just the canon that you shoot. That's two ends in the middle. Canon with one in the middle. One end in the middle. Anybody know what that means? It means rule. It means rule. It means like a guide. It's the rule. It's what we measure everything else by, the ruler. The canon. This Bible, as we know, as I said, this whole process of putting this this book together, the Bible, as we know, it was supervised by God. You say, well, there are a lot of people that wrote a lot of different things through the years. Yes, there were. There were other books that did not get included in here. Well, how did it come to be? You can study the the process that God, that God again superintended and supervised. And and the thing that I that strikes me the most about that whole process is that. The people that put this group together, this group of books, right? How many books is it again? Six. How many in the Old Testament? How many in the New? They put these 66 books together. They didn't decide, well, well this, is, this is God's word. 
They didn't decide that. What, what, what happened was they recognized. There's a difference. They didn't decide which was God's word. They recognized which books were actually anointed, that were actual God-breathing inspiration. Was that they, they, it wasn't like hard for them. They could see this book, this particular writing is from God. There was authority that it had. There was the truth that was there. They, 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 they just recognized it. You see, they didn't make up a list. They recognized. Again, that, that's a whole study in itself, the, the process of, of how the canon came to be, how the books came to, to be put together. You can read about it. Uh, it it's amazing. But God, again, He anointed those that wrote and then he also anointed to the putting together of this book. Yet, yet, today, God's word becoming less and less important in our society and even in our church. Amos, the prophet Amos. Was Amos a major prophet or a minor prophet? Is that because he was like short? Or just little? Why was he a minor prophet? The book was shorter. That's the only difference. Major prophets, minor prophets, major prophets. Anybody know how many of those there are? Five. And how about minor prophets? How many of those? Twelve. I taught these numbers years ago. Five, twelve, five, five, twelve. And, and uh, he's one of the minor prophets. The only difference between the major and the minor is um, the major prophets got paid more. No, no, no. That's major league. Minor league. Um, the minor prophets, their books were a little smaller, shorter. That's all. No difference. Still anointed, inspired by God. But Amos, he said that he talked in Amos chapter 8 about a famine of the word. A famine of the word. You know, that they, they couldn't find any food. Like when there's a famine, you, you're starving. You can't find any food. I... I think there's a thing that, that, that uh, is called biblical illiteracy. Biblical illiteracy. And it's not just in the world, but it's in the church. This is, this, is, this is the tragedy. It's no surprise. I'll read you a quote in a minute. No surprise about the world, but about the church. One of the pollsters, Gallup, he says, Americans revere the Bible, but by and large, they don't read it. And because they don't read it, they have become a nation of biblical illiterates. Used to be phrases that are from the Bible. There's still a few that are kind of used now and then. You know, whatever you sow, you'll... And then we got some, you know, that, that uh, you know, are kind of twisted. But, you know, cleanliness is next to... You know, we, people say that's from the Bible. It's not, in, it's not in the Bible. We have weird sayings that we think from the Bible and so on. But Al Mohler, who is uh, uh, um, the president of the Southern Baptist uh, Theological Seminary, he wrote an article about that. You can go read the whole article. It's, it's, it's really pretty good. But let me just read some of the things that he wrote about this. He said, some of the statistics are enough to perplex even those aware of the problem. A Barna poll indicated that at least 12% of adults, 12% of adults believe that Joan of Arc was Noah's wife. What? 
Well, wasn't she? No, serious. 12%. Another survey of graduating high school seniors revealed that over 50%, catch this, 50% thought that Sodom and Gomorrah were husband and wife. A considerable, check this out, a considerable number of respondents to one poll indicated that the Sermon on the Mount was preached by Billy Graham. That's where that came from. He says, we are in big trouble. That's what he says, we are in big trouble. He says, secularized Americans should not be expected to be knowledgeable about the Bible. We don't, you know, they're not believers. He says, as the nation's civic Conversation is stripped of all biblical references and content. Americans increasingly live in a scripture-free public space. Do you hear that? Confusion and ignorance of the Bible's content should be assumed in post-Christian America. Whoa. Post-Christian America. Do you hear that? That's kind of where we're at. We, we don't want to recognize that or believe that, but that's kind of where we're at. But then he gets to hit home here. He says, the larger scandal is biblical ignorance among Christians. Choose whatever statistics or survey you like. The general pattern is the same. Americans, America's Christians know less and less about the Bible, and it shows. He said, this really is our problem. It's up to this generation of Christians to reverse course. Recovery starts at home with parents and then churches must recover the ministry of the word. Close with this last paragraph. He says from him, I'm not closing yet. Don't, don't get too excited here. I got a few minutes left. He says, we will not believe more than we know. And we will not live higher than our beliefs. We will not believe more than we know, and we will not live higher than our beliefs. He says the many fronts of Christian compromise in this generation can be directly traced to biblical illiteracy in the pews and the absence of biblical preaching and teaching in our homes and churches. We are in trouble, but we can do something about it. But it starts with you and it starts with me. It starts with the church. It starts in our homes. This book, if it really is God's word, if it really is who we believe it, we, we have, you know, this statement of faith. If it's God's word, we need to know it. We need to love it. We need to obey it. Know it, love it, and obey it. Look back to 2 Thessalonians, First Thessalonians again, chapter 2. Back to our verse, verse 13. He said, you received the word of God, which you heard from us. You accepted it not as the word of men, but as it actually is the word of God, which is at work in you who believe. Which is at work. Where? In us who believe. In us. The Word of God. 
working in us. It's pretty tough to say the Word of God is going to work in us if we never get it in us. We never hear it. We never read it. We never listen to it. We never take it to ourselves. We're too busy with everything else in this world. And this world is, you know, it's a busy world. We live in a very busy society. There's, you know, I'm not, you know, living under a little, you know, uh, rock somewhere. I know, I know kind of what goes on in the world, in life, you know. I, I'm overwhelmed by stuff too, but, but, but this word of God, the word of God being in us. He says, which is at work in you. And this word work means active. It means effective. Active and effective. God's working in us. We know God says that he's, gonna, he's doing a work in us. He's doing a work in us, but his word is also doing a work in us. You know, I, I, I still remember years ago here, you know, you, you know, Jesus said, you know, I'll bring, you know, when you need it, I'm going to bring back to your remembrance the words that I've spoken to you. But you can't remember things that you never, ever heard before, you never read before. You can't remember those things. He can't, he can't bring back to your remembrance something that isn't there. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close it. I'm going to save some of this for next week because I, I just hate to rush through this because this is one of the most foundational, thank you, Barbara, foundational things that you and I need to know and you, need to, you and I need to, to do something about. It's, it's absolutely essential. If you, if you only get one message this year, one concept this year, it's the Word of God and doing something with it in your own life. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. Let's turn there and we'll, we'll, we'll wrap, it, wrap it up today and we'll, we'll carry on again next week. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. Hebrews comes right before James. Hebrews, James, Peter, John, and Jude. Can anybody tell me, Hebrews, James, Peter, John, Jude, what that kind of group of letters is all? They're letters, right? Okay, what is that group of letters called? Hebrews, James, Peter, John, and Jude. There's five there. What's that group called? Anybody know? General, the general letters. Good job. General letters. I want, I want you to understand. And, and then there's, a, there's, a, there's like 13 before it that are all Paul's letters. Okay, so we have, we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts. I'm just giving you this extra stuff here because this is so important. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts. That's like the history of the church, right? And then we have... Uh, all this group of Paul's letters from Romans, Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, and on, all the way to Philemon. And then we have this group of general epistles, and then the last one by itself is prophecy, right? Okay, Hebrews chapter 4. I'm not telling you this stuff to just to show you how much I know. I'm telling you because I want you to know it too. I want you to understand it too. I want you to have a kind of an idea. Find your way around this book. People, do you know the truth of this is, is that people gave their lives so that you and I could have this book. 
you and I could have this book. The persecution that people faced, even from religious circles, believe it or not, from religious circles, the religious, you know, who came down on people because they had God's own word in their own language. Read about it. It's, it's, it's the facts of history. People gave their lives so that you and I could have this book in front of us. And as a matter of fact, people gave their lives so, so that you and I could have the freedom in our country to open this book. Chapter 4, verse 12, For the word of God is living and active. That's the same word that we read back in 1 Thessalonians 2.13. The word of God which is at work in you. Active. The word of God is living and at work. Active. Sharper than any double-edged sword, it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. This word of God is living. It's active. It's not some old, musty, dry book from, you know, centuries and, and, and eons ago. This, is, this book is alive. If you know what I'm talking about, if you know you've been going through a valley and you've, you, you've been through a valley and you know that God spoke to your heart through his word and brought that encouragement, that comfort, that urging, that you, you, you know what that's like. But how many of us, you know, we neglect to our own peril, to our own loss, really, this book that's living and, addict, living and active. We need it. We desperately need it. One person said this, through his word, God works in believers' lives, transforming them and guiding them and cleansing them. We need all that stuff. I want to leave you with a little challenge because uh, that's what I'm giving to the kids at West Bay, a little challenge to... We, we started last year reading the book of Matthew, studying the book of Matthew, and, and uh, you know, I gave them this challenge you know, to, to read the, the Sermon on the Mount. Three chapters, or is it, yeah, five, six, and seven, yeah, three chapters. I, you know, I gotta remember stuff too. Three chapters, and I said, you know, read a chapter and then write something down from there that, that kind of strikes you there. And then have your parents sign it. And we had a bunch of kids that did it. And so then this year, uh, you know, I started last year and I'm, I'm just kind of, you know, giving them this challenge. Well, take the rest of the book of Matthew, read a chapter a day and just write a little something down. And, and, and just so we know you really did it. And then at the end, we're going to have something special for you. And I said to them, I said, this isn't just so you can get uh, an ice cream sundae or an extra, you know, a bag of candy. I told them I was going to give them 100 bucks, but I was lying. <laughs> it isn't just to get something, I said, because this is just something that's good. And it's good for you, and it's a good habit, and it's a good practice. And, and maybe you need to start out with a challenge and find out that it's not really as hard as I thought it was going to be. Oh, I can't do that. You know, I... I confess, you know, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. I don't like want to read the Bible sometimes. I don't like feel like it. You know, I got things to do. 
places to go, people to see. I got TV shows to watch. You know, I got, you know, email to read. I got, you know, computer. I got to search the web so I can get tangled up in that. Web, get it? Web. And it, you know, it, it, it is kind of daunting when I think about the Bible, and I've been reading it for a long, long time, and it is kind of daunting. Some of it's still like, whoa, Ezekiel? Like, whoa. You know, like that's, I'm not, I'm not even ready to teach that book yet because I'm not even ready. 30, 37 years isn't long enough yet. Well, I could try, but, and I'd probably learn, but. But you know what? It's God's word, and God will, God will use it in, in my life, and, and he will use it in your lives. That's a promise. I can make that promise. I can, I can guarantee you that God will use his word in your life if you open it, if you let him. Take 15 minutes a day. 15 minutes. You read a chapter a day. I read about a chapter a day. I, I've, I've done, done it where, you know, I've, I've spaced it out to read, you know, the whole Bible in one year, and you read like three chapters a day and that kind of thing, morning and evening kind of thing. But I, I you know, I did that for a number of years, but, but you know, I got to slow down. I can't, like, take that much in. That's just like racing to get through. It's good because it gets you through the whole Bible in one year. It's really, really good. And, and maybe you're smarter than me. You can, like, take it all in and stuff. But I had to kind of, like, slow down. So now it's like, it's like every three or four years it takes me. But I'm, I'm still just, like, I'm going to read a chapter every day. You know, and, and if I, maybe if I miss a day, is God going to, like, strike me dead? No, no. No. He's just going to spank me. No, just kidding. <laughs> Where, where am I here? Challenge. Yeah. The challenge. Yeah. Thank you. Can you, take, can you take a week? Can you take two weeks or a month and say, I'm just going to read one chapter a day. Go to whatever book. You know, I said this, I said this uh, recently. I said, if, if, even if you picked just the Psalms and read that, uh, you know, one chapter a day except Psalm 119, which might take you a few days, and just read one chapter of the day, every day for the rest of your life, you would be blessed. Of course, you'd miss out on all the rest of the stuff in the book, but, but way, way better than not. Well, you know, I can't understand this. I'm never going to read it. I can't. I don't understand. Ex- I, don't, I definitely don't understand Leviticus. So I'm not going to read the Bible. What a cop-out that is. Mm-hmm. Just skip over it, okay? It's okay if you skip over Leviticus. challenge can you pick can you just pick a book and read one chapter a day and just say god seems kind of silly to me but i'll try it it's a challenge i want that hundred bucks (laughs) i gotta find a big sponsor here on this one (laughs) now you're gonna get blessed but not not monetarily you're gonna get blessed we've already read it here word of God which works in you who believe. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word today and we, we, uh, we are in awe really of what you've given to us and what we have. That it's not just the words of men, it's your, it's your word, the words of God that you've, you've allowed us to have and forgive us Lord for 
minimizing it. Forgive us for just putting it on the shelf. Forgive us for not really realizing that you want to speak to us and that you have spoken and you are speaking. And so, God, we just humble ourselves right now and we say, God, word of God, speak. We think of that song we've heard on the radio. Word of God, speak. Speak to us. When we hear it, when we read it, when we listen to messages, there's so many messages on the internet we could listen to, so many great, great uh, preaching uh, churches that have their messages on the internet. Father God, open our hearts and lives to your word and we, we welcome it with open arms, God. Father, I want to pray here as well this morning for any that might not know Jesus, and none of this even makes sense, but Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sin, for my sin, and he, he was buried and he rose from the dead, defeating death, and, and the only way to get to heaven is through Jesus, as we've heard many times today even. And so for you to have eternal life, you need Jesus Christ in your life very simple. He offers it to you freely and you just need to receive and, and, and believe in him, trust him. Give him your life and your heart sincerely, not just flippantly, but sincerely uh, turn your life over to him and let him come in. You can pray with me now and say, Lord, I come. I come to you, Jesus. I'm lost. I have no idea what life is all about. But I need a Savior, and so I come to you today here, September 22nd, 2013. I give you my life. I trust in you. Save me. Rescue me, Lord. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and sing, sing together again, shall we?